0: Finite Factored Sets by Scott Garobran. Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is Finite Factored Sets, published by Scott Garobran on the AI Alignment Forum. Cross-posted from the AI Alignment Forum. May contain more technical jargon than usual. This is the edited transcript of a talk introducing Finite Factored Sets. For most readers, it will probably be the best starting point for learning about factored sets. Video. Lightly edited, slides. 1. Short combinatorics talk. 1 meter. Some context. Scott, so I want to start with some context. For people who are not already familiar with my work. My main motivation is to reduce existential risk. I try to do this by trying to figure out how to align advanced artificial intelligence. I try to do this by trying to become less confused about intelligence and optimization and agency and various things in that cluster. My main strategy here is to develop a theory of agents that are embedded in the environment that they're optimizing. I think there are a lot of open hard problems around doing this. This leads me to do a bunch of weird math and philosophy. This talk is going to be an example of some weird math and philosophy. For people who are already familiar with my work, I just want to say that according to my personal aesthetics, The subject of this talk is about as exciting as logical induction, which is to say I'm really excited about it. And I'm really excited about this audience, I'm excited to give this talk right now. 1t. Factoring the talk. This talk can be split into two parts. Part 1, a short pure math combinatorics talk. I suspect that if I were better, I would instead be giving a short pure math category theory talk, but I'm trained as a combinatorialist, so I'm giving a combinatorics talk up front. Part 2. A more applied and philosophical main talk. This talk can also be split into four parts differentiated by color. Motivation. Table of contents. Main body. End. Examples. Dot. Combining these gives us eight parts, some of which are not contiguous. Part 1. Short talk. Part 2. The main talk. Motivation. 1 meter. Some context 2 meters. The Perlian paradigm. TOC. 1T. Factoring the talk 2t. We can do better. Body. 1b. Set partitions, etc. 2b. Time and orthogonality, etc. Examples. 1e. Enumerating factorizations 2e. Game of life, etc. 1b. Set partitions. Alright. Here's some background math. A partition of a set. S. Is a set. X. Of non-empty subsets of. S. Called parts such that for each S. S. There exists a unique part in X. That contains S. Basically, a partition of S. Is a way to view S. As a disjoint union. We have parts that are disjoint from each other and the union together to form S. We'll write P. A. R. T. S. For the set of all partitions of S. We'll say that a partition x, is trivial if it has exactly one part. We'll use bracket notation, s, x, to denote the unique part in, x, containing, s, dot. So this is like the equivalence class of a given element. And we'll use the notation, s, x, t, to say that two elements, s, and, t, are in the same part in, x, You can also think of partitions as being like variables on your set. S. Dot. Viewed in that way, the values of a partition. X. Correspond to which part an element is in. Or you can think of. X. As a question that you could ask about a generic element of. S. Dot. If I have an element of. S. And it's hidden from you and you want to ask a question about it, each possible question corresponds to a partition that splits up. S. According to the different possible answers, we're also going to use the lattice structure of partitions. We'll say that x greater than or equal to s y x is finer than y and y is coarser than x if x makes all of the distinctions that y makes and possibly some more distinctions, i.e. if for all s t s S. X. T. Implies. S. Y. T. Dot. You can break your set. S. Into parts. Y. And then break it into smaller parts. X. X. S. Y. The common refinement of. X. And. Y. Is the coarsest partition that is finer than both. X. And. Y. Dot. This is the unique partition that makes all of the distinctions that either x or y makes and no other distinctions. This is well defined, which I'm not going to show here. Hopefully this is mostly background. Now I want to show something new. 1b. Set factorizations. A factorization of a set s is a set b of non-trivial partitions of s called factors such that for each way of choosing one part from each factor in b there exists a unique element of s in the intersection of those parts so this is maybe a little bit dense my short tagline of this is a factorization of s is a way to view s as a product in the exact same way that a partition was a way to view s as a disjoint union if you take one definition away from this first talk it should be the definition of factorization. I'll try to explain it from a bunch of different angles to help communicate the concept. If B B 0 B N is a factorization of S, then there exists a bijection between S and B 0 times times B N given by S S B 0 s b n dot this bijection comes from sending an element of s to the tuple consisting only of parts containing that element and as a consequence of this bijection s b b b so we're really viewing s as a product of these individual factors with no additional structure although we won't prove this here Something else you can verify about factorizations is that all of the parts in a factor have to be of the same size. We'll write F A C T S for the set of all factorizations of S and we'll say that a finite factored set is a pair S B where S is a finite set and B F A C T S. Note that the relationship between S and B is somewhat loopy. If I wanted to find a factored set, there are two strategies I could use. I could first introduce the S and break it into factors. Alternatively, I could first introduce the B. Done. Anytime I have a finite collection of finite sets, B, I can take their product and thereby produce an S modulo the degenerate case where some of the sets are empty. So, S can just be the product of a finite collection of arbitrary finite sets. To my eye, this notion of factorization is extremely natural. It's basically the multiplicative analog of a set partition. And I really want to push that point, so here's another attempt to push that point. A partition is a set. X. Of. None empty. Subsets. Of. S. Such that the obvious. Function. From. The. Disjoint union. Of the elements of x to s is a bijection. A factorization is a set b of non-trivial partitions of s such that the obvious function to the product of the elements of b from s is a bijection. I can take a slightly modified version of the partition definition from before and dualize a whole bunch of the words, and get out the set factorization definition. Hopefully you're now kind of convinced that this is an extremely natural notion. Andrew Critch, Scott, in one sense, you're treating subset as dual to partition, which I think is valid. And then in another sense, you're treating factorization as dual to partition. Those are both valid, but maybe it's worth talking about the two kinds of duality. Scott, yeah. I think what's going on there is that there are two ways to view a partition. You can view a partition as that which is dual to a subset, and you can also view a partition as something that is built up out of subsets. These two different views do different things when you dualize. Ramanakumar, I was just going to check, you said you can start with an arbitrary. B. And then build the. S. From it. It can be literally any set, and then there's always an. S. Scott, if none of them are empty, yes you could just take a collection of sets that are kind of arbitrary elements. And you can take their product, and you can identify with each of the elements of a set the subset of the product that projects onto that element. Ramanakumar, ah. So the. S. In that case will just be tuples. Scott, that's right. Brendan Fong, Scott, given a set, I find it very easy to come up with partitions. But I find it less easy to come up with factorizations. Do you have any tricks for Scott, for that, I should probably just go on to the examples, Joseph Hirsch, can I ask one more thing before you do that? You allow factors to have one element in them, Scott, I said nontrivial, which means it does not have one element. Joseph Hirsch non-trivial means not have one element and not have no elements. Scott, no, the empty set has a partition with no parts, and I will call that nontrivial, but the empty set thing is not that critical. I'm now going to move on to some examples one e enumerating factorizations. Exercise. What are the factorizations of the set? 0, 1, 2, 3. Spoiler space. First, we're going to have a kind of trivial factorization. 0, 1, 2, 3, 0, 1, 2, 3, dash, 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 dash. We only have one factor, and that factor is the discrete partition. You can do this for any set as long as your set has at least two elements. Recall that in the definition of factorization, we wanted that for each way of choosing one part from each factor, we had a unique element in the intersection of those parts. Since we only have one factor here, satisfying the definition just requires that for each way of choosing one part from the discrete partition, there exists a unique element that is in that part. And then we want some less trivial factorizations. In order to have a factorization, we're going to need some partitions. And the product of the cardinalities of our partitions are going to have to equal the cardinality of our set. S. Which is 4. The only way to express 4 as a non-trivial product is to express it as. 2. Times. 2. Dot. Thus we're looking for factorizations that have two factors, where each factor has two parts. We noted earlier that all of the parts in a factor have to be of the same size. So we're looking for two partitions that each break our four element set into two sets of size 2. So if I'm going to have a factorization of 0 1 2 3 That isn't this trivial one, I'm going to have to pick two partitions of my four element set that each break the set into two parts of size 2. And there are three partitions of a four element sets that break it up into two parts of size 2. For each way of choosing a pair of these three partitions, I'm going to get a factorization. 0 1 2 3 0 2 1 3 Zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, zero, three, one, two, zero, one, three, two, zero, two, one, three, zero, three, one, two, zero, two, three, one. So there will be four factorizations of a four-element set. In general you can ask, how many factorizations are there of a finite set of size? N? Question mark. Here's a little chart showing the answer for. N. Less than or equal to. 25. S. F. A. C. T. S. 0 1. 1 1. 2 1. 3 1. 4 4. 5 1. 6 61. 7 1 8 1681. 9 5, forty-one, fifteen one billion eight hundred sixteen million two hundred fourteen thousand four hundred one, sixteen one hundred eighty-one billion eight hundred eighty million eight hundred ninety-nine thousand two hundred one, seventeen one. Eighteen forty-five trillion nine hundred fifty-one billion seven hundred eighty-one million seventy-five thousand two hundred one. Nineteen one. Twenty-three quadrillion three hundred seventy-nine trillion 231 2446 sextillion 454 quintillion 857 quadrillion 103 trillion 544 billion 668 million 620,801 25538 quintillion 583 quadrillion 682 trillion 60 billion 103 million 680,001 You'll notice that if n is prime there will be a single factorization which hopefully makes sense This is the factorization that only has one factor. A very surprising fact to me is that this sequence did not show up on ES, which is this database that combinatorialists use to check whether or not their sequence has been studied before, and to see connections to other sequences. To me, this just feels like the multiplicative version of the bell numbers. The bell numbers count how many partitions there are of a set of size. N. It's sequence number 110 on ES out of over 300,000 and this sequence just doesn't show up at all, even when I tweak it and delete the degenerate cases and so on. I am very confused by this fact. To me, factorization seem like an extremely natural concept, and it seems to me like it hasn't really been studied before. This is the end of my short combinatorics talk. David Spivak, a priori, that would be a gigantic computation, to be able to tell me that you understand the factorization structure of that game of life. So what intuition are you using to be able to make that claim, that it has the kind of factorization structure you're implying there? Scott, so, I've defined the factorization structure. David Spivak, you gave us a certain factorization already. So somehow you have a very good intuition about history, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm asking about. Scott, yeah. So, if I didn't give you the factorization, there's this obnoxious number of factorizations that you could put on the set here. And then for the history, the intuition I'm using is, what do I need to know in order to compute this value? I actually went through and I made little gadgets in Game of Life to make sure I was right here, that every single cell actually could in some situations affect the cells in question. But yeah, the intuition that I'm working from is mostly about the information in the computation. It's can I construct a situation where if only I knew this fact, I would be able to compute what this value is? And if I can't, then it can take two different values. David Spivak, okay. I think deriving that intuition from the definition is something I'm missing, but I don't know if we have time to go through that. Scott, yeah, I think I'm not going to hear. 2b. Conditional orthogonality. So, just to set your expectations, every time I explain Pearlian causal inference to someone, they say that d separation is the thing they can't remember d separation is a much more complicated concept than directed paths between nodes and nodes without any common ancestors in Perl. And similarly, conditional orthogonality will be much more complicated than time and orthogonality in our paradigm. Though I do think that conditional orthogonality has a much simpler and nicer definition than D separation. Applications, future work, speculation. The future work I'm most excited by with finite factored sets falls into three rough categories inference, which involves more computational questions, infinity, more mathematical, and embedded agency, more philosophical. Research topics related to inference, decidability of temporal inference, efficient temporal inference, conceptual inference. Temporal inference from raw data and fewer ontological assumptions. Temporal inference with deterministic relationships. Time without orthogonality. Condition factored sets. There are a lot of research directions suggested by questions like how do we do efficient inference in this paradigm. Some of the questions here come from the fact that we're making fewer assumptions than PERL, and are in some sense more coming from the raw data. Then I have the applications that are about extending factored sets to the infinite case. Extending definitions to the infinite case. The Fundamental Theorem of Finite Dimensional Factored Sets Continuous Time New Lens on Physics Everything I've presented in this talk was under the assumption of finiteness. In some cases this wasn't necessary, but in a lot of cases it actually was, and I didn't draw attention to this. I suspect that the fundamental theorem can be extended to finite dimensional factored sets, i.e., factored sets where b. is finite, but it cannot be extended to arbitrary dimension factored sets. And then, what I'm really excited about is applications to embedded agency. Embedded observations. Counterfactability. Cartesian frame successor. Unraveling causal loops. Conditional time. Logical causality from logical induction. Orthogonality is simplifying assumptions for decisions. Conditional orthogonality is abstraction desideratum. I focused on the temporal inference aspect of finite factored sets in this talk, because it's concrete and tangible to be able to say, ah, We can do pearly and temporal inference, only we can sometimes infer more structure and we rely on fewer assumptions. But really, a lot of the applications I'm excited about involve using factored sets to model situations, rather than inferring factored sets from data. Anywhere that we currently model a situation using graphs with directed edges that represent information flow or causality, we might instead be able to use factored sets to model the situation, and this might allow our models to play more nicely with abstraction. I want to build up the factored set ontology as an alternative to graphs when modeling agents interacting with things, or when modeling information flow. And I'm really excited about that direction. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.